This is the podcast for the journal Neuropsychopharmacology. I'm Cynthia Graber. There's a technology that's proven to be increasingly useful in the past decade. It's called DRED, or designer receptors exclusively activated by designer drugs. The current approach is to create a designer receptor that is unlocked by the drug clozapine and oxide, or CNO. Researchers have used it to study the function of populations of neurons or of particular pathways in the brains in rodents by using the DRED technique to turn on and off these neurons or pathways. But last year, a paper published in the journal Science called the use of dreads into question. Some people interpreted the paper as an overall indictment of the dread technology, though this wasn't the original intent of the authors. And so Gary Aston-Jones, director of the Brain Health Institute at Rutgers University, and Stephen Mahler, assistant professor of neurobiology and behavior at the University of California, Irvine, published a paper in neuropsychopharmacology called CNO Evil, Considerations for the Use of Dreads in Behavioral Neuroscience. Dr. Mahler, first, what did last year's science paper find? This new paper was looking at this compound CNO, and this is by a group that had used these dread receptors previously. They noticed that this compound CNO, it has relatively limited access to the actual brain. And so they did uh, these receptor binding assays in which they labeled CNO with a radio uh, tag, and then they looked at where it ended up in the body and brain. And they found that relatively low amounts of it were actually ending up in the brain, binding to the dread receptors as the system is supposed to work. What they did show is that CNO, this is a compound that was actually known for a really long time as a metabolite, a natural metabolite of the psychiatric drug clozapine. And um, this compound binds to endogenous receptors in the brain at high enough concentrations. And so they found that the clozapine, in fact, was ending up in the brain to a greater extent than than CNO was. And their conclusion was that the clozapine actually was the compound that was acting at the dread receptor instead of CNO, which is supposed to be an inert drug and have no actions outside of the dread receptor. And so this then opens the possibility that this drug is not just acting at the dread receptor, but also acting at endogenous receptors in the brain, such as dopamine, serotonin, histamine, et cetera, which then raises concerns of non-selective effects of this manipulation. In other words, we may have sort of like a skeleton key here instead that acts on lots of receptors, doesn't just open up our dread receptor lock, but acts at dopamine and other types of receptors that are in the brain that we're not intending to manipulate. Dr. Aston Jones, what are your thoughts on the finding that CNO is back metabolized into clozapine? I think an important point is that although clozapine does act at other receptors in the brain in addition to the dreads, like any uh, drug, it's dose dependent. And so it really depends on the amount of clozapine that gets generated from the CNO as to the degree of problem that back conversion causes. And the dreads are exquisitely sensitive to clozapine. They have much higher affinity for clozapine than, than even the CNO. And that was known from the time dreads were first described by Brian Ross group. But what's I think a little less clear is how much clozapine is, is available to act at these other receptors. If very little is there, then that's a, a minimal problem. But if more is there, then that could be a problem. So what do the results of this paper mean for labs that are using the DREAD technology in their experiments? The crucial finding of this paper is that CNO has limited access to the brain because its uh, penetration through the blood-brain barrier is is relatively weak. And uh, that clozapine that comes from conversion of CNO to 
clozapine may actually be having uh, effects at the dread receptors in a way that was not at least appreciated as much as perhaps it should be. Our point, though, is that although this is the case, that clozapine perhaps acts at the dread receptors to some extent in these animal models, the, the data that come from these models is still interpretable given the proper control conditions, which most of these experiments uh, include. And I think one of the, our points is to really underline that such control conditions are essential in these experiments in order to interpret the effects of them. But if those control conditions are included, those effects are readily interpretable. And this tool is still a really valuable tool in our toolbox. It's clear in your paper that you both are absolutely in favor of dreads and still find the technology incredibly useful. So one suggestion the authors have to deal with the issue they reported is to give clozapine itself in low doses instead of CNO. What are your thoughts? We've pointed out that there could be some limitations of that. First of all, we would rather just in principle, not give a compound that is a known psychiatric drug, even if it's at a dose that is low enough to be ineffective at endogenous receptors. It's, it's theoretically possible for this drug to have some effect, perhaps subtle effect that is difficult to see, but could potentially affect our, in our results and our interpretation of our results. And another possibility is that clozapine itself, it of course is also metabolized like any drug. And so potentially by giving clozapine, the effects of that drug at the dread receptor would be uh, shorter acting than giving this compound CNO, which could be construed based on this um, paper's interpretation as a prodrug for clozapine anyway. So in other words, its actions might last longer because of the fact that it is being metabolized over time and providing steady levels of clozapine over the course of hours. Well, I would just add, though, that while clozapine could be used as an agonist for the dread receptors, um, there are serious side effects of clozapine that would limit the interest of clinicians in, in using it. It compromises blood function and causes a lot of cardiovascular problems or can potentially do that. But there are other agonists that are known now to also have very high affinity for the dreads, including another neuroleptic called olanzapine, which has many fewer of such side effects. And there are other agonists um, that have been described as well. So there, there's a, a, a widening array of tools available for manipulating these designer receptors. And that's the eventual goal, to use these designer receptors and the drugs that can manipulate those receptors in humans. Because we could express these receptors that themselves have no action. These are new receptors. The cells don't normally have them. And now the cells will start to produce them. We can do this in rodents. We can do this in primates. There's no theoretical reason to think we can't do this in humans. In fact, these same sorts of approach, gene therapy approaches are, are being used today in humans. So the problem is, what do we do with, these, with this new tool, this, ability, this lock that we insert in these neurons? Can we actually turn the key to correct the aberrant neural activity that underlies these psychiatric symptoms? We, uh, in order to do that, we need the correct key. And so this is what this controversy is all about. Is our key acting only at our lock or is it acting at other sorts of locks in the brain? Just to expand a little bit on the importance of the dreads and why uh, our paper's main point was to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, the dreads have enormous clinical potential for, for several reasons. 
One is that they're G protein coupled receptors and uh, many, many FDA approved drugs that are clinically effective are G protein coupled receptors. So these receptors, these dread receptors are tapping into the same signaling pathways as we already know to be clinically important. Another reason is that these dread receptors are uh, human proteins. So the thought is that as far as the outside of the cell is concerned, it would look just like a human muscarinic receptor and would be unlikely to generate an immunogenic response. And there's new receptors and agonists for these receptors being developed all the time. So soul area, I think, is an extremely exciting new set of tools for not only basic neuroscience, but for clinical therapeutics. And the clinical therapeutic end of this hasn't even begun to be realized yet. People appreciate that it has a lot of potential, but that hasn't even started yet. And I think we're going to see a great deal of advance in clinical neuroscience using these types of tools in the future. This is the podcast for the journal Neuropsychopharmacology. To read the research paper discussed in this podcast, go to www.nature.com NPP. I'm Cynthia Graber.